Hey everybody, Justin White here, and you are about to listen to episode 24 of Power Forward. Our guests are Zach and Mary Topinski, the husband and wife owners of Urban Rest Brewing in Ferndale, Michigan. Like so many other small businesses right now, Urban Rest is closed at the time of this episode release due to the coronavirus pandemic. Their plan is to be back up and running with a contactless door delivery system by mid-April. Zach and Mary built their business by themselves from the ground up, a process that was seven years in the making. You'll find out why it was so important for them to have their fingerprints on every aspect of their business and how they've carved out a niche for themselves in the highly competitive craft beer market. It all comes your way right now on Power Forward. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to inform, entertain, and educate. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast series do not constitute legal or other professional advice, opinions, or endorsements of any kind. This is Power Forward. All right, welcome back to Power Forward. Justin White alongside Mateen Cleves. Mateen, what's happening, my friend? Living a dream, Justin. Please don't wake me up. All right, I'm not going to wake you up, but I am <laughs> going to ask you a question, and it it relates to dreams and more specifically investing in yourself. You know, and, and at some point in everyone's life, you, you've got to take a chance on yourself. If if you really want to pursue your dreams, um, you got to take some chances, and you gotta you got to really invest in yourself. When when you think about uh, your experience and some of the the things that you've done in your life, and you, and you go back to the beginning when maybe you weren't sure if it was going to work out or not. What comes to mind for you? Well, for me, I would say sports. Yeah, I mean, just having that self confidence and investing in me and putting in the time uh, that it took to be successful. And a lot of people think, well, you know, you got to be a certain size or you got to run this fast or jump this high. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in you have to invest in yourself, meaning put in the work. And that, I'm not, it, it's not all about just putting the money behind it all the time. So for me, uh, for, for my experience, it was just, you know, getting in a gym and spending extra hours and running, getting on a track and lifting weights and just putting a lot of time into myself to try to be successful at what I was trying to do. Yeah, you, you know, you, you look at people who are successful and it's it's easy to forget sometimes that everyone started somewhere, right? I mean, you weren't just born with uh, the, the ability to play NBA basketball. I mean, you had to start somewhere uh, and, and that starting point involved a lot of hard work. Oh, yeah, big time. All about hard work. And I, it's hard to... It, it, you're not going to be successful if you don't work hard. And self-investment, uh, to me, is uh, the, the the safest investment because it's you, man. You dictate how that's going to turn yeah, out. Yeah, but it can be scary. You know, it, oh, it can yeah. be scary, especially, what, like you said, when it involves uh, money and taking chances because, you know, things don't always work out. But when they do, it's a beautiful thing, right? Chances make champions. I that's, like that. Yeah, yeah, chances make champions. I'm a big believer in that. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, all successful people, I'm at some point in their life, it was like, should I do it? Can I do it? Go for it. And most most successful people, they went for it, and, hey, they made it happen. But if you're going to invest in anybody, invest in yourself. Well, that that's a, a great segue, so – Good on you. That's a great segue <laughs> to our guests today because they are the co-owners of Urban Rest Brewing in Ferndale, Michigan. Zach and Mary Topinski, welcome to Power Forward. Thank you very much. 
So, so not only are you guys the co-owners of Urban Rest, you are also husband and wife. We are. What, what, what is that like? Just, just for starters, to to be in business uh, with your spouse. Well, it's been invaluable for us, uh, to be quite honest. You know, and back to what my team was saying. You know, with uh, with believing in yourself. Um, you know, we we worked on our team first. You know, so to speak, and and having uh, her and I on the same team. Uh, for a decade now, building the foundation for the business. I mean, it's been, I couldn't have done it without each other, in my opinion. Well, I applaud that because my wife, she'd probably be ready to kill me. <laughs> I would screw that up, but go ahead, Mary. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have jumped in, but I had to throw that out there. Yeah, I think it's been really nice to uh, just have each other's back through the whole high, highs and lows of everything. So I feel like it has been really invaluable. All right, all right for, for our listeners who, who are not familiar with your company, Urban Rest Brewing. Uh, tell them a little bit about Urban Rest. So we're a small neighborhood brewery uh, located in Ferndale, Michigan. Uh, we do all of our beer in-house and sell it in-house, so there's no distribution. Uh, very community-focused uh, with a variety of kind of old-world traditional beers and some, some modern interpretations of classics as well. And you guys have been open now since 2017? Correct, yeah. We're coming up on three years in June. And give us an idea of, of how business has been. Business has been great. You know, to be honest, it's exceeded expectations for us. We are at the point now where uh, we're reaching kind of our five-year plan uh, that we had in the business plan. And so uh, we've expanded capacity uh, immensely five or six times, I think, at this at this point. And obviously, we started very small and uh, bootstrapped it. Um, but now we're kind of catching up with a little bit of the demand, uh, which has been, you know, it's been great. And ma- make no mistake... Uh, you guys are in a very competitive business. This isn't like, you know, you guys are the only show in town. There are lots of breweries out there. There are lots of, of companies that make beer. Um, but you guys have, have found a niche. How have you done it? Um, I think our niche has really been our neighborhood. So bringing in the community and making sure that we have a little bit of something for everyone, really. They're like starting small, you know, and, and kind of, you got to get, I... I Dib and dabble in the music business a little bit, and every sometimes people they they try to do what everybody else doing around across America. I'll, I've always been a big believer in you got to take care of home first, and if you can take care of your community and you know right that little area around it, I think everything else you can branch out after that. Yeah, absolutely. It minimized a lot of risk for us as well. I mean, it's a, a highly capital intensive business, you know, making beer, and you got to have economies of scale if you're going to play in in the big realm. You know, for us, it was uh, least risky uh, for us to have uh, a smaller base, so to speak, and just focus on that. that community. And, I, and I'm, I am super huge on branding. So I, I should have asked this maybe a question or two ago, but how did you come up with the name? Like, where did that come from? Uh, originally, we were called Neighborhood Brewing Company. Okay. So then once we started to dig into the actual neighborhood, um, we found out it used to be called Urban Rest in the early 1900s, and we kind of added... A little bit more layer of, uh, you know, investing into the community. Very like cool. That. Very like cool. That. So w- let's go back to talking about the investment that it takes to start your own business. Um, you guys are both from this area. You're both from the Metro Detroit area. Uh, you went to college together. Correct. So how did the process work you know, of you guys getting to the point where you say to yourselves, you know what? 
Let's start a brewery together. <laughs> uh, well, I went to business school um, at Western. Um, she was in the education uh, realm, you know, and art education. And uh, as soon as I got out of college, she had already been working uh, here. So I kind of uh, followed her back to the Detroit area. And, uh, Smart man. Yeah, absolutely. Man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I knew what I had. I knew the opportunity was there, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I took a, a job at a local distributor, uh, just merchandising, stock and shelves. Uh, I went to a, my first career fair. It was a sports career fair. I was heavily, you know, into sports uh, for a long time. And uh, uh, the only place that called me back was this beer distributor. And they said, hey, you know, we're starting people ground level, uh, stocking shelves. You know, if you want to check it out. I said, okay, you know, um, going to school in Kalamazoo, they have a heavy craft beer community, you know. And so I knew a little bit about craft beer. I was passionate about it. And to be honest, I had no idea that you could even potentially make any money, you know, in, in beer, uh, didn't even know it was an option. So, um, they gave me my first shot and, uh, I just, I took off with it. You know, it was a, a decade now, uh, ago that I, I got that job and craft beer was just exploding. You know, the market was just going crazy and, uh, we were, you know, launching new brands and it was, uh, it was exciting to see. And, and so, um, yeah, we. I just started off on the ground level, worked my way through a bunch of different sales positions there, spent five or six years doing that. Um, early on, Mary had bought me a little homebrew kit, kind of the classic, you know, homebrew to pro-brew type, type story. We had done some kind of napkin sketches of our initial business plan, you know, about a year after, after me getting into the distributor. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of just work different areas. So those different sales jobs, you know, I was able to work on premise and off premise and, and get a real diversified skill set of how exactly to sell beer and how beer, you know, was being sold. Um, at that point, I, I transitioned into a brewery sales management sales management position for uh, the state of Michigan and got to uh, launch, um, you know, a brand throughout the Midwest uh, as well as in Michigan. And so it was important to know, you know, uh, all these different facets, try and get, you know, uh, again, a real diversified uh, skill set. And so um, on that note, you know, having the business and sales experience, you know, um, and having Mary have her uh, diversified skill set, you know, with people management, with the restaurant management, you know, she had been working in restaurants and service, you know, pretty much her whole professional career. Uh, and so uh, us having those different um, uh, avenues uh, really kind of gave us our core, uh, core foundation. Zach. Now, now, now you got me excited, man. Now, now I'm becoming a super, super, super fan of you guys. Some people like, especially, okay, getting out of college, they want manager positions. They, they, you know, it's an ego there sometimes. You, it seems like you, you just wanted to get your foot in the door. I, I see it in the NBA sometimes. You know, everybody wants to be a lottery pick or first round pick, but certain guys, hey, just give me a shot. Let me get my foot in the door and learn and feel your feel my way through. But I, I love that story because you just got in and you learned and you grew and you grew. And and now look what happened. And I think, um, and, and maybe I'm, I should ask this question. Did the experience from all those different positions help you um, where you are now? Oh, tremendously. Uh, you know, it, it, not going into that with all that knowledge, I, I would have been blind to a lot of things, you know, and uh, having that perspective has really helped and gaining the perspective of others and not being af afraid to ask, you know, uh, other people, um, you know, how they got into it. Uh, I mean, it's just there's no way I could have done it without that don't, experience. You can't be, don't be so smart you're dumb. <laughs> and I look at it like that. Right. I, and I jumped into the mortgage uh, industry. And same thing. 
I asked a bunch of questions, and I still ask a bunch of questions because there's a lot of stuff I just don't know. But don't be so smart yeah. you're dumb. Never be afraid to ask a uh, question. It pays to be curious. Right. There's no doubt. Good point. Uh, sp- speaking of pay, uh, money and investment, and it takes money to start a business. So you talked about your experience. You get into the, the beer business at the right time. Um, you know, like you said, it's just exploding. So then – Take us through the conversations you guys are having when, when you start thinking about opening your own place and everything it's going to take to pull this off and do it successfully. Well, for us, I mean, we had just uh, just graduated college. We we didn't have any money. We were living with her dad, you know, at the time. Uh, and, um, you know, like I said earlier, it's a very capital-intensive business, you know. And so her and I just sat down and said, what type of brewery we wanna, do we want to create? At the time, obviously, we had little to no idea other than, you know, some of the foundational principles, you know, but knew it was going to cost us a lot of money. And so um, Mary's uh, strong expertise in finance and uh, financial planning, you know, she found a way for us to basically live off of, of her salary and invest uh, 100% of mine, you know, and so that included, you know, some, uh, um, you know, low risk investments and things like that. We had a 401k match at the places I was at and, and maxing th- those things out, you know, I was able to take some, uh, um, you know, an early distribution on that, that was a little bit of seed money for us to start the company. And so, um, yeah, we sacrificed uh, for, a, for a great many years, you know, just uh, living in small apartments, um, you know, uh, structuring our meal planning, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty regimented, you know, but um, uh, it's what it, what it took to get here. Mary, you, you guys had to be on the same page. I, I mean, to to make those kinds of sacrifices, it, it seems like, you know, you couldn't be in one place and Zach in another. T- tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, I mean, it took us seven years to get open. So we were living <laughs> on, yeah, so we were living on a month-to-month basis. We were like, okay, this month we're buying this tank and we're going to do what it takes, whether, you know, just a lot of sacrificing. Um, yeah. Did you, did you, during those seven years, and be honest with me, yeah. <laughs> um, did you guys ever like say, this might not be worth it? Or you kind of like got cold feet? Not necessarily cold feet, but we, we hit some rock bottoms, you know, and I think that um, you could see how a lot of businesses fail in those initial startup periods because, you know, things get dark, you know, things get really tough. And we're talking about, you know, putting, you know, having children on hold, you know, to try and reach these goals, uh, you know, of starting a brewery. And so, um, you know, there were a lot of, of digging deep moments for sure where we, we didn't know whether or not we could do it. Uh, you know, we didn't know mainly whether or not we could afford to do it, you know, and, and on our trajectory, it was like, all right, this is going to take a decade to do. So, all right, let's, let's see, we can, you know, do it in less time than that ended up taking, you know, seven. Um, but we didn't want to sacrifice, uh, you know, one equity, uh, and the control of the business, but we also wanted to do it our way. You know, uh, there's opportunities out there for big investors that want to be hands off, throw a bunch of money at you, you know, and this and that, uh, yeah, that wasn't what we wanted. We wanted wanted our piece, you know, albeit very, very little and small. You know, we wanted wanted that to be our piece. So, so you talked about you know finding finding a good spot in a neighborhood, um, but when you thought about like the vision for your business and how you were going to set yourselves apart in this very competitive market, what were the conversations that you guys had? 
Well, I think that we initially thought that we were going to have a kitchen, we were going to serve pizza, um, and we had this whole idea, and then we ran out of money, we ran out of time. Um, so then we started doing food trucks, and I feel like that really helped us uh, to bring in the neighborhood, to bring in other small businesses, um, and just changing and being flexible. So it's being nimble, really. It's, yeah. it's, it's not not being able to, to just kind of stick with your, your original kind of list of, of the things you wanted to accomplish. Is that is that something that you think, Zach, in business that has absolutely required the ability to, to, to be nimble and, and, and make changes on the fly? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and having the connection that we have with the company being owner-operated, it allows us to be able to listen to those consumers, uh, you know, listen to that feedback, uh, listen to the feedback from our staff and be able to be, like you said, flexible and make changes. And if we had a, a large scale production operation, so to speak, you know, it, it might be set the type of beers that we're supposed to make or things like that. And uh, and for us, uh, it wasn't wasn't that at all. You know, we had uh, lighter on our feet, so to speak. And, and it's like what I keep hearing is. You guys wanted to stay in control of decision making. I think sometimes when you know people have startup companies and they um, get wild by these big investors that come in, but once these big investors come in, you're not the decision makers anymore. Um, so to me, that's what it seemed like I, I took from you guys that you guys want to make sure you kept control of being able to make decisions or, or how you wanted to run your business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're putting up our, our entire life savings at that point, you know, and so if we're going to do it, you know, it hopefully will be on our terms or at least as much as possible, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, invaluable. I, I take it those guys, they were not going to go on Shark Tank. Right? No, 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 no that's, that's not their, that's not their speed. But Zach, you, you talked about, you know, there are some dark moments and there's going to be obstacles and there's going to be tough times when you're, when you're doing something like this. At what point did you guys know that this was going to work out? Was there a, was there a, a specific moment or a, a specific time or something that happened along the way where you said to yourselves, I think we've got something here. I, I think this is actually going to work. To be quite honest, I mean, I, don't, I didn't have that until, you know, we had our doors open, to be quite honest. We, we were real slim at that time and, and, and dark times, like you said. Uh, and then when people came in and gave us the feedback that they did, you know, we knew if we could keep ourselves uh, in a good cash flow position uh, to keep up with that demand, that, that potentially we would have a go at you know, actually, uh, you know, actually doing this thing. And so I can't say that I was guaranteed. We knew the opportunity we had, you know, given my experience in, in the market, uh, in the craft beer realm, we knew that the opportunity was there. Um, but business is tough, man. You know, it's, it's a grind and, uh, opening a business, you could see how people, how people fail on the way there. It's tough. It's incredibly tough. I think it's easier to run the business than it is to, to open a business. Uh, you know, there's, there's money coming in. There's, uh, you know, when there's no money coming in and you got to you put out a lot of cash, you know, on a, on a very frequent basis, it's tough. Yeah. And you know what that reminds me of? What's that? G- getting into the TV business. You know, because they always said um, in college that it, the toughest job to get was the first one. And I got the first one, and I said, well, it must be all downhill from here, right? Not necessarily the case, but because after you're in, then the competition only ramps up. You're in, and there's more people vying for different jobs. 
Uh, and in your case, that once you guys open your business, okay, we're up and running, but guess what? You've still got a bunch of competition out there. You've got other breweries in town that are you know, making beer and, and trying to get customers through their doors. But one thing you said, Zach, that, that kind of piqued my curiosity was talking to your customers. Um, and getting feedback. We're huge on feedback here, um, both from our clients and, and internal team members. Where does that kind of fall for you guys as far as listening to your clientele and kind of hearing what their feedback is and then adapting based on what they're saying? Um, I think being like owner operated is really important to us and being in the tap room every single day and just having those casual conversations and even not just with the customers, but with our staff as well and taking that into consideration and being flexible with what we need to like mold. So whether we're doing events to bring different people in, if we're doing um, like a baby wearing event or yoga every Saturday, I think that has really helped just to, you know, target a little bit of everyone. And let me ask this question as well, because most successful businesses, in my opinion, it, they make it all about the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, a good friend of, um, like a, of mine is Magic Johnson, super successful businessman. I asked him, what did, did you ever do anything wrong in business? And I think that's one thing he said. He didn't make it about the people. When he first started, he kind of made it about himself. And you guys, Justin, asked you the question about that feedback. Because like you said, we're big on that here too. So um, what's the mindset when you're getting feedback? Because I think some people can be a little egotistical and, and, and not take feedback. And seem like you guys are not like that. No, I mean, staying open is is one of the hugely critical things that, that we did. You know, and we didn't, we're not reinventing the wheel. There's a lot of people who have been making beer for a very, very long time. You know, uh, we're not doing anything totally new, so to speak. You know, but uh, um, but staying open, having humility, uh, being a brewer. I, I love uh, more than anything to create and to work with my hands. And so being a brewer, uh, you're not in control. And so having that humility and, and knowing you have to, uh, you know, depend on, uh, you know, others for feedback and whether or not they're enjoying it or uh, they want a different style, you know, or this or that or, um, you know, being able to respond to them in different ways. Now, as far as strategy goes and making certain decisions, I know that you guys have had to do some things. You've had to get your hands dirty. Uh, And and I know there's a story about the cooler that you have at Urban Rest (laughs) and where it came from. Uh, Tell our listeners about that. So... We are bootstrappers, you know. Uh, Mary and I have always been scrappers. Uh, we we're highly competitive. It goes back to you know the, the athletics, you know, and competition there. Um, but um, that said, um, we had a friend who worked in the HVAC field, and he called us one day and said, "Hey, there's a cooler available uh, at this old, uh, you know, supermarket. They're going to demo it, and it'll be out of here tomorrow. It's yours if you can get it out of here within 24 hours, and it's free." And I mean, and we're talking like a 30 by 30 cooler, like a humongous cooler, you know, between 50 and $75,000 value for us if we were going to buy it new, you know, and to be honest, we didn't, we didn't have a cooler at that point. We didn't even have one on the radar. We knew we were going to get, you know, a small one, but again, just kind of staying open, stay flexible. We rented a truck. Uh, We relied on my buddy who was in that HVAC realm to help us understand how to, how to disassemble it. And so, yeah, we, we disassembled this, uh, this cooler to 
took us about 17 hours straight of work. What? Uh, yeah, 30 by 30. I mean, an absolute massive uh, puzzle, basically. It's it's linked together in a bunch of small, um, well, not small, but eight by four foot uh, panels. You know, and so you just uh, start at one corner and work your way through the whole thing. I mean, a portion of it was like poured concrete floor. I mean, we had to like saws all it out of the ground quite literally. And so... Uh, huge learning curve there breaking that cooler down but uh, little moments like that are, are quite big moments uh, uh frankly i mean those those wins were super essential for us it was like oh my gosh i see the light for this it, this could happen so you know maybe back to your uh, question earlier you know you'd see these little glimpses and these little shines how about that? Tw- 24 hours, you can get it out of here, it's yours. Yeah. And oh, by the way, it's this giant, massive cooler, and you got to figure out how to take it apart and then put it back together. Now, listen, a winner is going to find a way to win. You know, a lot of people would have said, thanks, man, but uh, not sure if we're going to pull it off. Man, you guys <laughs> dropped everything, it seems like, and, and, and went and did whatever you had to do uh, to, to get that win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's what it's about. We had, we had time. We didn't have any money, you know. And so, uh, it, you know, if I had to work all night to get that cooler, I, I was going to do it, you know. And if I was going to take the last panel out by the time the demo guys, you know, rolled up, that that was that was going to be, you know. <laughs> I, I got to circle back to something you said in the middle of that story because you mentioned a competitive nature for both of you, and that and that goes back to sports. What what is the background for each of you in sports? So Mary's uh, been dancing. She she was a, a little kid. She was a national level um, a competitive dancer. Oh, Mary. Uh, All right, Mary. Oh, Mary. Okay. Uh, I know she wouldn't say that, so that's why I said it for her. <laughs> okay. Uh, She's blushing right now. And uh, I grew up playing, you know, sports every season. You know, I played football. I played basketball, baseball, uh, wrestling. I mean, I literally did everything, tennis. Um, but baseball is what really you know, got me the longest, you know, I started to kind of weed out some of the the competitive sports, you know, um, as I got more and more closed head injuries and whatnot. uh, (laughs) uh, And so smart, uh, smart guy. Yeah. yeah, But uh, baseball was it for me. See, it's it's no coincidence, Mateen. You know, we we talked to a, a lot of our guests, you know, who have that entrepreneurial mindset. It goes back to sports and, and having that competitive mindset. It does. And you know what I think about it, it, it just gets crazy. I, I don't, dislike people that didn't play sports. I don't. But I love the people <laughs> that play sports because it's just something that you get out of. I mean, learning how to come back from adversity, learning how to deal with different personalities, learning how to, you know, put a lot of stuff to the side for one common goal, and that's to win. But I, like I said, I love, man, that people that play sports. It's just something that we have and, internally that you can't buy. Yeah, and and adapting and, and yes. being nimble and thinking on your feet. Um one interesting aspect of your business, and I think you guys mentioned this earlier, is that you do not distribute your beer. And, you know, the the common person out there would look at you guys and say, well, you guys clearly have a good product. People enjoy your beer. They come to your brewery to drink your beer because they because they like it. So why aren't you trying to make more money by distributing <laughs> distributing that beer? Well, I mean, to be honest, the time that I had spent in the distribution realm, uh, you see how slim those margins are. You see how competitive that market is. We wanted to have a neighborhood spot. We wanted to have, uh, you know, what, what we like to call a third place. You have home, you have work, and then you have your third place, which is your community gathering spot. You know, we are not trying to light the beer world on fire. We're not trying to 
you know, uh, make the most, uh, you know, in Michigan or in the country, you know, uh, or anything like that. Um, but it also boils down to, to margins. The margins are incredibly slim in the distribution realm, and we don't have the economies of scale to support that. So we simply can't make enough beer to be profitable at this point unless we do sell it at home. Uh, we're able to, you know, like be nimble, like you had said, listen to customer feedback and make some different beers and take some take some potential risks, see what people like in that in that local market and then enjoy, uh, you know, the the greater margin that comes with selling your product direct to consumer. So we're one of the few industries where you can be, you know, a producer and, and also sell directly to the consumer. And so hugely advantageous for us to take that capital, reinvest it into, into growth, you know, to meet that, that local demand. So we've, we take the wider versus, or a deeper, you know, versus wider um, uh, philosophy in, into pretty much everything. So We'd rather sell, uh, you know, uh, less beer, um, you know, to less people uh, for a better margin because it's what makes sense for our company. And, and it makes it more uh, more desirable that way, right? You can't just walk into your local your local beer store, or liquor store, or grocery store and find your beer. You got to come into Urban Rest to actually have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, beer is a highly perishable product. Uh, you know, I. I'm a, um, a bit of a purist and I like the less is more approach and uh, less intervention as possible. I like to the beer, have the beer do its thing, but it's living, it's breathing and uh, it stales quickly. You know, and the type of beers that we make and, and you want that freshness, you want that great character. Uh, we're able to take care of that beer uh, in a very, very delicate way. And, and that's the type of beer that, that we really want to make. We want to give it its time. We don't want to be constrained by having to fill distribution, you know, dis- distributor orders or anything like that. And so we want to make, you know, a certain type of product and it takes time. I got a few guys back at home in Flint that uh, you don't, if you don't want that beer to stale, they'll, <laughs> I can I, pick them up you know and what? drop a bomb no and they'll problem, take care man. of no that problem. for you. I, I, I got to come clean with you guys and I'm not sure how long we've been recording for now, but I, I got to admit, I'm embarrassed to say I have not been to Urban Rest. I have not had your beer. I lived in Royal Oak for five or six years. I still live in the area. I just haven't gotten there. I hear great things. I need to come in there. I just haven't gotten there yet. But I guarantee you after this, I will be making a stop. Well, we got a pint waiting for you at the bar, right? I can't oh, wait. Can I have one too? Absolutely. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> well, Mary, you, uh, you you touched on something earlier about some of the events you guys do at the brewery um, and some of the ways that you brand yourselves um, in trying to maybe uh, expand and reach out to different audiences. Um, what is the approach when, when it comes to that? You know, when you're not just trying to sell beer to people who like drinking beer, right? You're looking to, to bring in people from all different backgrounds. Right. We're just trying to diversify. So we're just trying to get everybody in and everybody to experience our place and hear our story and kind of see what we're all about. So what have you guys done? You said yoga? Yep, we do yoga every Saturday. Yoga? Yep. At the brewery. At the brewery, oh. glass in a glass. Yep. Wow. And come get kombucha, beer after, cider. <laughs> Um, we've done animal charities. We do weddings, showers, um, just a little bit of everything. We have motorcycle events, baby wearing events, petting zoo. I mean, just, <laughs> wow, all kinds of stuff. Where, where do you guys come up with this stuff? Right. Who does it? I mean, a lot of our consumers uh, have just approached us about it. You know, so and so owns a you know a foundation that helps uh, rescue animals. You know, can we do a charity event to try and raise money for them to get a transport van? You know, uh, uh, the the farm, you know, needs uh, some additional items to help take care of their animals. Can they bring the animals out and, uh, you know, have a little petting zoo at our place? And so um, a lot of it's just listen to those customers, seeing what they want. 
Yeah, supporting other businesses and trying to help other people out. Isn't it crazy how that works? I mean, it's, it's essentially networking, what you guys are doing, right? I mean, you, you listen to your customers. They come in. They start chatting you up. They mention this particular cause they're passionate about. That leads you guys to meeting so-and-so or whoever else it might be. And it probably what it does is it just it ends up funneling more people through your doors and growing your business. Uh, that's exactly it. You know, uh, word of mouth advertising is the strongest form of advertising, in our opinion. Great you know, point. you got that equity. Uh, people they had they went to this event at Urban Rest. They had a great time. They were able to to buy a beer and enjoy a beer, and a portion of the proceeds get donated to a charity. You know, or something. Uh, it's all about you know creating that equity within the customer, and those events just enhance those things. So, so when other business owners approach you guys or other other people who are, you know, interested in opening their own small business. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a brewery. But if somebody, you know, one of your friends approaches you and says, man, you guys are doing really well. You know, what, what's your advice? How have you done it? What are the what are the core principles that you guys believe in and that you would tell those people? Hmm. I think basically be present, be there, you know, spend your time and your business and hear what people are saying. Um, We've always been talking about being flexible today, I feel like, right? Yeah, being open, being flexible, you know, uh, and and uh, adaptive. Being there, though. I mean, you guys, how many hours yeah, are you guys there? Like, like tell it, because this is not just, this is blood, sweat, and tears. You guys have to be there. Zach, I, mean, I know that you're the, you're the beer master, but, I mean, t- tell our listeners, you know, what exactly uh, is required as, as far as being there, being present, and, and putting in the, the time it takes to, to make this thing run. When we were in the startup phase and building out the facility, it was a solid, you know, uh, 70 to 90 hour week, no problem, every every single week. Um, at this point, you know, the business kind of follows us everywhere and we're able to do a lot of uh, things from home as well. And so to, to quantify, you know, we're always there. We're always there, uh, you know, we're always engaging with someone who's, you know, currently present at the taproom if we're not there physically, uh, you know, and so it's it just... Again, especially because we have such, um, you know, active roles within the company and, uh, you know, we live together uh, and are married, you know, uh, it really it's never too far uh, from, you know, any conversation. And you guys hit on something that rung a bell in my head when you said present, be there. Uh, And when you invest, this is your money. Uh, you, you have to, and I'm speaking out to the our listeners right now, you have to be present. I remember I got into the music industry, and I, I had a lot of friends in the basketball world say, well, don't invest in music, you'll lose every time. Well, what happened was they would donate, but they were not present. So they would just give people in trust with their money and, and was hoping they did the right thing. Well, me personally, I was more hands-on. I mean, I would be out downtown Detroit passing out CDs, and people are like, are you the guy that played basketball? I'm like, yes, that's me. I believe in this product so much. You yeah. know, I'm here hands on. But I think a lot of people screw up somewhat in that sense where they'll invest in things, but they're not hands on with it. Yeah, for us, that was the only way that we really, really felt comfortable, you know, to be quite honest. And to have, you know, uh, our hands dirty, like when things break, you know, we know how to fix them. We literally built the place, you know, up from the last nut and bolt. And so that's been incredibly important for us because things break all the time. You know, we're a manufacturing facility, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're running, the machines are running all the time, you know, things uh, uh, are wear and tear, you know. And so for us to understand, you know, how it really truly works, you know, not only on the manufacturing side, but also in the tap room, which has its own, you know, huge set of, uh, of parameters, you know, it's been, uh, it's been really essential for us to, to know all those and have our hands in it. 
So you said three years in now, and you guys are you're doing well. Just I guess one thing we may not have touched on: give our listeners, you know, some some frame of reference for for the kind of business you guys are doing. You know, what your capacity was when you started, um, what it what it evolved to, and, and kind of how how that all took off, and how it obviously happened really quickly. So when we first started, we had the opportunity to make about fifty barrels of beer. You know, one barrel is thirty one gallons. You know, and so uh, you got about you know. 400 pints, you know, in, in uh, that amount of beer. And so we had about 50 barrels of capacity. Uh, we expanded within our first month, we had expanded uh, to double that capacity. Uh, from there, we doubled again, you know, and from there we increased by, you know, 25%. And from there we increased by another 25%, you know. And so at this point, uh, we're about to make, or we're um, able to make about 750 barrels of beer a year, wow. you know, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's from coming from the homebrew realm where I used to make five gallons of beer at a time, you know, uh, only a few batches and I had far surpassed the, you know, my five years of homebrewing five gallons of beer at, at one time. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you know, you found, you know, a recipe, no pun intended that, that is working. Um, but when you, when you find, that you're creating beer that people enjoy drinking, do you then say, okay, we're going to stick with this? Or are you guys looking at this more from a business perspective of we need to keep evolving, we need to keep trying new things, we need to stay fresh? How how do you guys look at that? Because a lot of the guests that we have when it comes to business, they'll say even when you're successful, they constantly tinker, they're constantly evaluating, they're constantly making adjustments. How do you guys look at that? So again, it goes back to getting the feedback from the customers, you know, and listening to exactly what they want, you know. And so we have or had an idea of the type of beer that we wanted to produce and uh, the type of beers that we were going to produce when we started. And, um, you know, all, all I wanted to do was make world-class beer, you know. That that's that was my goal, you know, from the start. And, uh, you know, to, to try and strive for that, um, you know, you have to pay attention to the consumer and, and what specifically they want because there's a lot of things in between. You know, there's tons of different beer styles, tons of different flavor profiles. Um, you know, do do the people just want to sit down and have a beer and engage with a, a local community member? It doesn't have to be a 15% imperial stout with tons of different ingredients in it. You know, it's just a nice crispy little pilsner. Yeah, and I sit here, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I thought about this because you guys listen to the customers a lot. Has there ever been something that, that's been asked of you and it's like, wow, what is like, I want a beer that looks like water, but tastes like pineapple and ginger. <laughs> like what? Have you ever had something like kind of outrageous that, All that the kind time. of made you laugh? Almost okay. every single day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that we engage with are, are parts of the homebrew community as well, you know, and people that maybe necessarily have not brewed a beer either. But, yeah, there's all kinds of crazy ideas. They're putting glitter and stuff in beer now and all kinds of wild gimmicky stuff. And, uh, you know, for us to just stick to our guns and, and, and make drinking beers, as we like to call them, ones that, that you just don't have to think much about, you know, but are just beautiful little representations of, you know, uh, of flavor. Uh, you know, you don't have to add glitter. <laughs> I, I, I've never had a beer with glitter, and I, I'm not going to lie. I don't have really a, a desire to, to have one. Right? <laughs> so Zach's not the only one who's a mad scientist when it comes to experimentation. You, uh, you also dabble as well? Yep, so I brew kombucha, um, and that's been a really unique element, I think, to our brewery. It's uh, fermented tea. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. it I've heard of it. I haven't drink. had yeah. it. It's got probiotics, vitamins in it. 
Um, and so if you don't drink alcohol, it's got a really low percentage, 0.5. So a lot of people come there just to enjoy kombucha. How about that? Yeah. Kombucha. Yeah. I like it. You, you just like saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I want to try that. I mean, we've yeah. had people that have never had our beer. They come in specifically and only for the kombucha. We put on, you know, five gallons of it because it was something that we were we were doing at home. It wasn't in the initial part of, of the business plan. We were just like, you know, again, back to kind of pivoting and listening to what our consumers wanted. Uh, the city of Ferndale uh, has been incredibly receptive to it. And so she's been scaling up. We've also, you know, done likely five different, you know, uh, fermentation expansions for, for kombucha as well. So she's doing 150, 175 gallon batches at this point. So some big, some big kombucha batches. I'm about to use his original tank that he was brewing beer in to brew kombucha next week. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so, so you've got the beer, you've got the kombucha. What about the space? How do you describe the the environment that you have at Urban Rest? And, you know, you, you mentioned the neighborhood. You want it to have that neighborhood feel. Um, how do you describe uh, the actual space that you guys have? Oh, I think it's a pretty chill vibe. We've got, like, a lounge. We have no TVs. We've got a lot of board games. I think that the community comes in and they... I don't want to say they're forced to interact with each other, but most people aren't just going on autopilot and uh, opening up their phones or going on their computers. Um, they're just having a good time. It's pretty chill. I love that you don't have TVs. Yeah. Me too. I love that because there are very few places now where, where you go in and there are no TVs. And I think you're right. It, it forces TV people to yeah watch TV at home, <laughs> go in somewhere, um, whether it's having a meal at a restaurant or having a beer or kombucha, whatever the case may be. I love that you guys have taken that approach. Yeah, it's been a little risky for us, obviously. You know, there's not many places, like you said, that don't have TVs right now. But in order to create that that third place and that other element of communication and engagement between, you know, us and those, uh, and those consumers, you know, it's been really, really important uh, for us not to have TVs. I mean, it's just... Again, back to, you know, some of the elements of the space. We took an old production space, you know, that was built in the 1940s that people have been doing you know, things in for for generations, you know. And so uh, it was covered in uh, these this metal siding, you know, previous uh, the outside was covered in these metal siding. And when we took that, that metal siding off, it was all these windows, these, uh, these old historical windows, like 100, 100 feet, 150 feet, you know, of windows. And so it's opened up this beautiful natural light, kind of going back to what we were talking about with yoga you know and, and having a great space uh, to to practice yoga in and, and to, to exercise in but also to hang out in and, and have a beer uh, there's tons of plants and um, you know it's just a great nice uh, you know chill vibe like she said how'd you guys find the place so we had looked pretty much all over Michigan and uh, in our kind of exploratory phase of, of finding a building you know, we really thought Ferndale was kind of out of our league you know it's it's a a highly competitive market and highly competitive area. Um, well, we had kind of zeroed in on on Ferndale. We had looked at a few buildings that were owned by the city. Um, after vetting those, found that they weren't going to work for us, and the city said, "Hey, there's this guy who's uh, you know got a building on the north side of town. You know, um, check it out and see what's going on." And so we were. Um, you know, in a 60,000 square foot building, we took a little corner, you know, that was right on the end, about 5,000 square feet of it. At this point, we have close to 7,000 square feet of it. Um, but yeah, there's 16 other producers uh, in that building. And so guys were woodworkers and uh, metal shop guys and uh, 
beard balm, uh, you know, an oil company, you know, all kinds of, of people making things, you know. So it's a bit of a, a hub for us of, of people who are, are working with their hands and creating stuff. We, we talked earlier about branding and social media, but, but from a marketing aspect and, and marketing your brand and marketing Urban Rest, um, what is your strategy there? Mm. I think, again, just telling our story and really just trying to tell the consumer who we are. We're not just trying to sell beer. Um, we're, we're selling who we are and we're selling, you know, everything that we are to the community. Well, you, you mentioned uh, word of mouth, you know, being a, a huge thing for you guys. What about, you know, social media? I mean, do you, do you guys put a heavy emphasis on, on putting yourselves out there and growing your, your brand via social media? It is. It's a great way to tell our story and to reach a lot of people. It's a lot of work. We split the role together. Um, I feel like it can take up your entire day, you know, just stories and posting and just trying to reach a little bit of everyone. Wow, you guys are really hands-on because usually they pay people to do that. Oh, I mean, we do everything. Uh, Accounting, bookkeeping, you know, uh, production, social media, uh, taproom management. I mean, that's the only way that we've been able to be profitable, you know, Uh, and we're still bootstrapping. We're still scrapping uh, and we're still very early on in the maturity, you know, of our company. And so we continue to maintain those roles so that we can have the most accurate pulse on the business that we can. I'm sure, though, as you think about the future, you've probably talked about getting to a point where you will have to start delegating. You will have to give some control to people that work for you just so you can kind of, like you said, continue to scale and continue to be successful. Um, as you think about the future – and, and, you know, getting to that point where, where you will have to kind of delegate and, and, and you know, not have uh, it be quite as hands-on, what, what kind of comes to mind for you? And please don't cry. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of growth, have, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. an inevitable part of, of growing. Yeah, I mean, for us, we wanted to understand the basics of, of how to run the business, you know, and then uh, focus on our areas of expertise and our strong point and, and delegate, you know, uh, those tasks to other folks. And so... You know, in our, you know, third year now or almost third year of business, that's been the big focus for us is, okay, we understand, you know, what it looks like to do these certain roles. Uh, We have a great staff in place. Uh, You know, a lot of them have been with us from the start. And so one of the huge issues with the restaurant business is employee retention. They're, they want what hot, what's hot, what's new. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, I think six employees that have been with us literally from day one. And so for them to know and understand where we came from, what we represent, you know, it's been a lot easier for us to, to, to start to delegate those tasks and, and to get people to, uh, to help us in, in the production realm. And so, uh, you know, we're starting to, to look at those key roles and, um, and we've got, you know, folks in place, uh, the, the infrastructure there, you know, and so with being parents, you know, coming soon, yeah. uh, it's been important for us to, to make sure that we're, you know, uh, shifting some priorities uh, to, to other folks. Well, that, that says something about you guys that have that retention. I mean, you're doing something right. Uh, so kudos to that. Now, if I was starting my business and I had to hire staff and I asked you, like, what do you look at? What do you look for in a person when they're interviewing, um, you know, at, at your company? Yeah, that's been really hard. I feel like just having a normal conversation with someone, it's not as much about like asking them specific questions, but just spending time with them and seeing a little bit about what they're about um, and what they're uh, what's important to them. And yeah. And let me follow up with that. Like, so during this conversation, 
are you like filling that person out or is it a different approach you take with certain personalities or uh or a certain basic questions that you're going to ask every time and kind of see what 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 answer you're going to get yeah, I think we started out a little bit different every time. We'll just start talking about beer. I remember one of our employees now was like, she told me a few weeks ago, she was like, I didn't even know if that was the interview because we just talked for 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> I was like, no, that was the interview. I just wanted to know a little bit about you. You know, what kind of beers do you like? What are you into? Who you are? Wow. Your values, right? Yeah. Have, yeah. Aligning yourself with people who have similar values. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's what a lot of successful business owners do. And it's, it's no coincidence. It's not just about the bottom line and hiring the best people or the people who can get the job done the quickest. It's getting people who really think the same way you do and have the similar type um, value sets. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't teach core values. You can teach all the all the things in between and the different intricacies to the, to the style or, or the process, you know, but... Uh, you can't change somebody's core, you know, belief. Right. Well, gotta be good people. No doubt. Well, well, you mentioned it, Zach. So I'll so I'll ask you. Um, n- another thing that's changing for you guys soon is you're going to become parents. Yep. And and you, congratulations, by Thank the way. Thank you very much. Um, you should see the smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are having a boy. Yeah. We're having a little baby boy. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and you said you guys had to put this off for a while so you could focus on getting the business up and running. Yeah. And now and now it's happening. You're you're going to be parents. What? What are the thoughts that come to mind for both of you as as this experience awaits? Uh, I mean, just all the emotions for me, you know, a, a fear, excitement, you know, um, just everything you can really imagine. I ride this wave, you know, almost weekly where uh, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable, I'm feeling good, and like, oh my gosh, no, I'm out of my mind, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, very much riding the waves right now, and, and it's a lot of likenesses and similarities uh, to business and, and in the startup phase, there are just so many unknowns, you know, but uh, the, the excitement um, that we both have to become parents and the time we're willing to put into it, you know, we want to take that same approach as we, we really did in business is, you know, being parents. Yeah, and just trying to put some systems in place. I feel like you think we think we have ideas of what it's going to be like, but just as we know with business, everything changes and we just have to be flexible. Well, you're going to be behind the bar with the baby, rocking the baby Bjorn, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, the plan. That, I mean, that's going to be great. For, everyone will come in, drink the beer, and be like, oh, look at the cute baby. And then I, she's the owner, too. Oh, my gosh, this is great. I want to get dibs because I know he's going to play sports. So by that <laughs> yep, time, right? I'll be old and just coaching my <laughs> dibs. Yeah, so yeah, I was going to say. Z- I need him on my team because he's going to be successful. Z- Zach, will he be, uh, be home brewing before he can walk? <laughs> oh, 100%. He's going to be professional brewing before he can walk. <laughs> I love it. Um, to to kind of circle back to where we started in talking about investing in yourself and taking risk, for our listeners out there, who may be thinking about doing something similar to what you guys have done? Um, what would your message be to those people? You know, if they're having some doubts and they're, and they're not sure if they should take the leap and they're not sure if it's the right decision, um, when you reflect back on your experience, uh, what would your message be to those people? Well, don't give up. You know, I mean, be tenacious, uh, uh, be patient, um, and be willing to put in the work in order to get to to that spot. I think you guys spoke earlier about. You know, not um, being able to make the sacrifices or put in put in that extra work. You know, uh, we weren't born to be successful business owners. We had to mold ourselves uh, to be you know successful business owners. And so, um, believe in yourself. You know, believe in your team. Uh, you know, and and be willing to to fail and take risks. Mary. Yeah, I I think exactly what he said. Just putting a good team together, believing in yourself, and putting in the time. You know, it takes a lot of time, and I think that being patient is really hard. 
that's exactly what we talked about at the beginning. Nobody, you know, you got you guys now are have a successful brewery. People walk in who aren't familiar with your story, and they may say to them, they may have no idea um, that you guys made the sacrifices you did at the beginning, and no, have no idea, Zach, that you went and, and disassembled that cooler and hauled it over there. Right? They they probably don't know uh, everything that went into getting you guys to the point where you're at now. No, I mean, they really don't. That's why it's nice to have that that small network and that small community because they tell our story. You know, we have people that stopped up that live in the neighborhood. You know, it took us two plus years to build the place out. And so people would poke their heads in and they would say, hey, what's going on here? You know, and we would take them on a tour. Uh, and so they feel vested and they feel like they, you know, they were there in, in the beginning. They saw what it looked like when we were, you know, struggling that night to build up the cooler. Or, you know, they see us there uh, late nights, you know, tinkering on stuff. And so uh, having Having the local community be able to tell your story and, and tell you know those things that we did, uh, those create those huge layers of equity for people that they're just they're invested, you know. And staff, uh, the same thing goes for them. And I know you guys are striving and kicking butt right now, but <clears throat> I want to ask a question that's probably a lot of listeners um, would love to hear. I asked Magic Johnson, was there a mistake that he made in business? Um, so was there something when you first started out that you would say? You know, beware of this. Don't do this. Um, so is it something when you first started out that you would? Really, I mean, uh, a, a big mistake for us, uh, I think, initially was was thinking that we uh, we needed to involve um, more people, you know, in order to get the job done. And so we weren't we didn't have such advanced skill sets in certain areas. We didn't have the finances for it. And so, you know, we thought very frankly that we were going to have to to, you know, find different ways to solve those issues. And what we found is like, we just took a step back, took a lot more time and and try to learn those things as much as we can. And and maybe not, um, you know, put ourselves at risk with other people, you know, because it's hard to, uh, to, to create that long term, you know, um, dedication to it that we had, you know, and so and so we found that maybe we involved, you know, a, a you know, some things initially that uh, we didn't we didn't trust ourselves on. This this might be a rhetorical question, but having gone through all these experiences together as as a husband and wife team who are also a, a business team, um, how, how has the business partnership strengthened your marriage and your relationship over time? Uh, I mean, I, I I can't even describe it in 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 words. To be quite honest, you know, uh, having your partner, uh, someone to to quite frankly, cry, you know, on their shoulder, uh, someone to lift you up, you know, when you get down or when, when you uh, hit a pit, uh, that strengthens, you know, any relationship, you know, and, and any bond you have, even as friends, you know, or, uh, or, or as husband and wife. And so, you know, for us, we feel unstoppable at times, like we can do anything if we do it together, if we, we put our heads to it, you know, and we, uh, you know, work on it uh, uh, very hard. Like, you know, we feel like we, um, you know, uh, very much gained, you know, a lot of, uh, of strength through this whole process. And that strength is carried on to our, our personal relationship too. I think that was said perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> there. Well, you, you guys are going to be uh, amazing parents because, because you know all about hard work, you know, all about putting the time. And then that's, that's what being a parent is, right, Mateen? You're going to love it. Yeah, they'll be good. I'm excited. So many good things still to come for you guys. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, Continued success with Urban Rest Brewing. Uh, Zach and Mary Topinski from Urban Rest in Ferndale, Michigan. If you haven't been like me, go check them out. 
Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, guys. Appreciate you having us. Thank you. Thank you. To make sure you never miss an episode of Power Forward, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a review. And look for another new episode coming your way two weeks from now featuring more inspirational stories of success. I'm Justin White. We'll see you next time on Power Forward.